Okay, can you hear? Okay, great. Yeah, I can hear myself now. Um, when when Paul got us to just pray earlier on and um, just thanking God for the nations and the generations, it, it just got me thinking about my preach this morning. And at the minute, I'm just not too sure what language to preach in. <laughs> I will try my best, though. But let's pray together. Yeah, Jesus, thank you that. Your gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Yes. I thank you that this gospel works amazing things in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. Many of us here are a testimony to that, and we rejoice in the fact that we who were once far away have been brought near to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your church. I want to thank you, Father God, for every man, every woman, and every child. And I just pray, God, that you bless the preaching and the teaching of your word this morning. I ask help from you that you will speak through me to your church. I pray that your church will be encouraged. Your church will be strengthened. Your church will be built up again this morning. And I want to pray particularly for any of the guys from Mary House who are here this morning. Thank you that you love them. And I thank you, Father God, that you've got great plans for them. And so, Jesus... Would you be glorified again as we we just turn to your word at this time? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Just a privilege to speak to you. It always is. I, I want to share uh, with us, hopefully briefly, uh, this morning, an amazing story from, from the Old Testament. Oftentimes you don't encounter the grace of God in the Old Testament, but this particular story is a very special one. And in looking at this story, we want to seek to just highlight some key things about the grace of God. So I'm calling my, my message this morning, At the Table of the King, a story of grace and mercy. And my hope is that this morning we can all come on board and, and just embrace something of God's amazing grace for us. I'm aware that it's quite warm, so I give you permission to gently tap anybody who might be sitting next to you and would start dozing off and just say to them, listen to some. Just gently. Don't nudge them. Just a gentle tap if you notice anybody dozing off. Let's turn in our Bibles to, to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel and to chapter 9. 2 Samuel and to chapter 9. I'm going to read all 13 verses. From verse 1 of chapter 9. David asked... Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machias, son of Amiel in Lodeba. So King David had him brought from Lodeba, from the house of Machias, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, 
don't be afraid, Amy said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the lands that belong to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you, you notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to find the land for him and bring him the crops, so that your master's grandson may have may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Verse eleven. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. Verse 13, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. This is one of the passages in the Bible that I so identify with. Because we find God's amazing grace and mercy on display for all to see. We get to see something of the heart of God. And I so identify with this. And I believe that many of us in this place would likewise identify with this passage. But every time I have read this passage, I have grappled in particular with the, with the 13th verse. Because it says that, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And then at the tail end it says, And he was lame in both feet. I never get it. So my thought this morning, I still haven't got it. But hopefully God will give us some wisdom as we delve into these, these verses uh, together. Now, what would we do in this life without the grace and mercy of God? Even amongst ourselves, we love people to show us mercy. We show one another mercy. I remember a couple of years back in secondary school, a week earlier, we had been told to not do any graffiti on the wall. We had been told that specifically in assembly. And they said that if you were found out, you were going to be expelled. Guess what? The following Monday, I arrive in school, I get a desk, push it to the wall, I climb up, and I'm writing my nickname on the wall. How stupid can you be? In that moment, as I stood there writing, my, my nickname was in nearly every classroom in the school. I stood on this desk writing my nickname on the wall. One of the senior house masters comes and then he, he, he just catches me in the act. At this point, it was a cold morning, but I was sweating. Because I knew that was the end for me. I started pleading my case. I said, he said, but you, you were told in assembly not to do this. Why are you doing it? I, I, I couldn't give an answer. He said to me categorically, I am going to report you to, a, to, the, to the headmaster and you will be expelled. I pleaded my case. I pleaded my case. I pleaded my case. Finally, he turned around, looked at me and he said, I'm just going to make you wash my car. You can go. I thought, Wow! It was my final year of secondary school. How could I go home and tell my mom, I just got expelled from school? What did you do? Graffiti on the wall. No! 
he showed me mercy. And I always look back to that thing. I'm like, mercy, my God, even grows further. We find in this story a very interesting narrative that's stuck between two accounts of battles David fought. And so in chapter 8, we find David's defeat of the Philistines. And then in chapter 10, it was him against the Ammonites. And I believe that it's, it's a beautiful story of what God Almighty does with the life that is given to him in full surrender. So basically, if you're here this morning, I want to tell you what God does with a life that is fully surrendered to him. At this point in the narrative, both Saul and his son Jonathan had died and David was now king of Israel. We enter chapter 9 and David from the onset is asking a question. He says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? It's important that we understand that during the reign of, of Saul, David and then Saul's son Jonathan had formed a really, really, really close friendship. It was really, really, really special to the extent that they actually spoke some vows to each other. And, and Jonathan had said to David, he said to him in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, he said to he said to David this, he says, do not ever cut off your kindness for my family. So Jonathan made a covenant with David. So it is on the back of this promise that David would speak this blessing and say, is there anyone of Saul's family that I can show kindness and bless? David, the Bible says, indeed was a man after God's own heart. And he seems to be applying the grace of God in his life. David clearly was a type of Christ in the Old Testament for us. And in this story, he was showing God's loving kindness, as illustrated in the, in the passage I read to us earlier. We need to understand that this beautiful story is also an illustration of God's love to fallen sinners, which is spelled out clearly in the New Testament. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. We see that, we see a shadow of that in this, in this narrative. The key word here that I want us to take on board, right from the onset, is the word kindness. Is there anyone I can show kindness to? And David, in exclaiming about kindness, was pointing to God's loyal, unfailing love for his people. God's love is a love that is unfailing. It is a love that is unchanging. It is a love that is unending. It is a love that is unlimited. It is also a love that is unmerited. We don't deserve it. But God so loves us anyway. Notice what David says. David says in verse 1, Is there anyone? He doesn't necessarily qualify it. He doesn't come and say, Is there a firstborn son? Is there a secondborn son? Is there a third? No, he says, Is there anyone? And anyone means anyone. Hallelujah. Anyone means anyone. Not anyone qualified. Not anyone worthy. Just anyone. And so Ziba comes forward and he mentions that as a member of the family. And he, he adds on about the fact that this member of the family called Mephibosheth is available, but he's lying in both feet, he says. David doesn't turn around and say, well, because he's lying in both feet, we wouldn't really have any use for him. No, he doesn't do that. He immediately says to Ziba, where is he? Where is this son? Where is this member of the family? Where is he? I need to mention at this point that uh, when Mephibosheth was about five, 
news about the death of his granddad and father came through. And the Bible says to us that when they heard the news, his nurse had tried to run off with him. But in the process, she dropped him and then he fell and then hurt himself. Hence, he was lame for the rest of his life. We need to understand that. And the Bible says to us clearly that looking at this, we discover that God's grace and mercy does not in any way depend on the recipient. It doesn't depend on us. God's grace does not depend on the person receiving it. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. We cannot boast about, about the fact that we saved ourselves. No, we cannot. Three things quickly I want to just highlight for us in this story. Three things I believe God's grace and mercy um, illustrates for us in the story of Mephibosheth. The first thing is this. God's grace seeks us where we're at. Secondly, God's grace brings us to the king's presence. And then number three, God's grace transforms us or changes us. I'll go over them again quickly. The grace of God seeks us where we're at. Secondly, the grace of God brings us into the king's presence. And then number three, God's grace transforms us or changes us. I want to just delve into those three points quickly. So the first one, God seeks us where we're at. You see, God is the one who initiates our salvation relationship. God is the one who starts it. God is the initiator. He does not wait for us to, to come to him. In fact, we cannot come to God in and of ourselves. We cannot do that. God seeks us out and then he finds us where we are. He comes searching and then he finds us where we are at. And we, we, we look at this account of David and Mephibosheth. And clearly, David sought out Mephibosheth. Is there anyone? He goes, he says again later on, isn't there anyone I can show kindness and love to? I want to say to us that this man, Mephibosheth, did not deserve any of David's favor at all. In fact, he hadn't turned in an application to David to say, I am applying for a job in the palace. He hadn't done anything like that. He was hiding when David found him. He was far away when David found him. And, and these verses will again highlight three things for us, for our own situation. The first thing is this. When Jesus found us, we were dead in our sins and in our transgressions. That was the truth about us. We were dead in our sins, the Bible says to us. Ephesians says to us, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sin. And I want us to understand something from these verses. You see, the Hebrew word that is used in the narrative for lame in verse 3 is the Hebrew word noher. And I just need to try and then expand on that a bit. Now, this Hebrew word ultimately meant physically lame, but figuratively it also meant dejected. And so from the very onset, we actually meet a man who is not just physically lame, but emotionally and spiritually we find a man who was carrying a lot of baggage. So Mephibosheth wasn't just physically lame. 
But the word used, noher, speaks of dejection as well. It speaks of rejection. It speaks of somebody who was who was dejected. It speaks of somebody who was carrying lots of weight and couldn't do it on his own. And so when, when Paul says to us in Ephesians, that as for us for you, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions, he knew what he was talking about. We were born with a nature, our condition, that, that means that we were separated from God. God was here, we were there, we were separated from him, the Bible says to us. Secondly, we were far from God. When Ziba appears on the scene, he's asked, where is Mephibosheth? He says, he lives in Lord Deba. Lord Deba was some random village far away from Jerusalem. Nobody even knew that village existed. He says he lives in far away Lord Deba. David was in Jerusalem in the palace. Where is Mephibosheth? Far away in Lord Deba. He was living in obscurity. The same for us. When God found us, we had quietly blocked him out of our lives and moved away hoping that God will not come looking. But guess what? God came. We thought... Ah, I'll hide. Ah, I'll hide. It's funny. Sometimes I'm playing with my boys. We're play, playing hide and seek. And then the youngest in particular will do this. And obviously because he can't see me, the assumption is that daddy can't see him. But he's, stand, he's just standing there in the opening and he does this. He can't see daddy, but guess what? Daddy can see him. You know? So we were trying to hide, but, but God could see us. And God came in his mercy. Again, Paul says to us, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Thirdly, we were fearful of God. Mephibosheth must have lived in such fear. Because you see, at the time, whoever became king, oftentimes they, they effectively killed anybody from the previous regime. Just so they could establish their rule and their reign. And he knew that some enmity had existed between David and then his granddad. And so he lived in fear. And so one day he's there, knock on the door. Who is it? Ziba turns up. He says, David wants to see you. Oh dear, I'm in trouble. A sinner who is aware of their sin and knows anything of God's holiness is often afraid. But you see, I also need to mention that God is not some sweet syrup God who because of his love doesn't deal with sin. No. God deals with sin because he's a just God. Hence, must punish sin. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God in his love and mercy sent his son to us when we were dead in our sins and in our transgressions. He, say, he says, I will deal with this problem of sin because you cannot do it on your own. So he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent Jesus to us. And Jesus comes into our story. He's always been part of the story anyway, but now he reveals himself to us in his glory, in his grace, and in his mercy. God in his love sent us his son. Jesus became the penalty for our sin. So brothers and sisters, we no longer have to be afraid because Jesus died our death. Hallelujah. Isn't that exciting? We no longer have to be afraid. He died our death. He was buried. He rose to life again on the third day and he's alive forever. Jesus paid the price for us. Second main point, grace brings us into the king's presence. 
I believe that had Mephibosheth not been lame, he may have challenged David for the throne. Or probably even escaped when the king's messengers arrived. But there wasn't much he could do under these circumstances. So he just, he just tagged along and went with the messengers. It is those who understand their spiritual need who respond to the grace of God. If you don't understand where you are at, there's no way you're going to respond to the grace of God. Those who think they are spiritually well often rebel and they resist. But not so with Mephibosheth. He came along and guess what? He found acceptance, he found blessing, and he found communion with the king. I just want to touch quickly on these three points of acceptance, blessing, and then communion. When, when Mephibosheth entered the king's palace, I believed everyone could see his physical brokenness. However, it is his words that reveal his spiritual brokenness. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He clearly was saying, I am without value, without dignity. A dead dog is much worse than worthless. It is disgusting. It needs to be gotten rid of. But guess what? Mephibosheth found acceptance with David. And even so, God made a covenant with his only son, Jesus Christ, for his sake, to show us kindness. So Paul writes again in Ephesians, he says to us, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. We are accepted in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, we can come into the Father's presence. Because Jesus has made a way, we can come with every confidence. Because of the connection between David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth could gain acceptance into the king's palace. Because of Jesus, we can likewise come into the Father's presence. I want to mention that grace also brings great blessing. David says to Mephibosheth in verse 7, I would restore to you all the lands of your granddad. Paul highlights for us in Ephesians, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then in, in 2 Peter he says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So the grace of God brings blessing. But Church, I think that if we only preach that side of things, we are only preaching a part of the gospel. The reality is that even in the midst of God's grace, there often is also a lot of suffering. And last week, Andrew was bringing that to us beautifully. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. And I just want to share a few stories of, of a couple of my friends with you. The first one, I'll call her DF. And she, DF, has nerve problems I, I don't know what the what the medical term is but every now and then the nerves on one part of the face suddenly go a bit funny and so she tends to be in intense pain and no amount of painkillers will do but Sunday after Sunday I see DF 
dancing during the worship time, lifting high hands to Jesus, singing and shouting and praising God. Next couple of days, face is hurting again. She's called out. She has cried out. We have prayed for her. Nothing has happened as yet. She continues to live for the Lord. Then I'll tell you about my friend DK. DK has two sons or had two sons. First one died in his prime. It was a big shock for her. Second son then had his children and then one of them was was heavily disabled. And so it meant that DK had to, you know, just stop working and then stay home and then care for the son's child. And nearly all of her life she has come across as somebody very, very, very miserable. But again for DK, when you ask her, she looks at you and she says, but God is good and he is good all the time. I'll tell you about my friend PA. PA is trying to church plant in a nation that says it's not it's 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 national religion is voodoo. And so basically the people offer sacrifices effectively to Satan. And he lives in this nation trying to plant a church. And it's hard ground. Nothing seems to be going okay. You speak to him on the phone and he says, he says, it's just not going well. But I know God wants me here. Every day is a struggle. Church starts off. Three, four people gather. The enemy seems to come in and then something funny happens. Nobody comes again. It's hard ground. But again, when you speak to this young man, he says, but I know God says, I will build my church. There is suffering. But we continue to run with God. I'll tell you one final story. And it's of two really good friends who lost Two teenage girls in their prime running well with god just one day they are called at, at, at midnight to say your girls have been involved in an accident and 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 both of them did not make it just like that and you see these guys today they're still running with god you speak to them they end up encouraging you It's not an easy one, is it? There is suffering in there as well. Grace brings communion with the king and his children. Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table. In case you missed it, it is stated four times. Verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, and then verse 13. Imagine what it was like for Mephibosheth, having lived in obscurity all these years. Suddenly, in the palace of the king, eating all the nice food. At the same table as the king. I believe God has called us into fellowship with him and then his son. He has made us members of his family where we share together the bounty of his table. His grace and mercy have brought us sweet daily communion with the king and his children. Isn't it great that in the quietness of your bedroom you can wake up in the morning and you can begin to worship the king? In, your, in the shower, in the morning, you, you can sing songs of praise to Jesus. On the way to work, you can do that. Amazing. Such great communion with the Father and with the Son. Finally, grace transforms us or changes us. The Bible says to us that he always ate at the king's table. It was life with the king. And for us as well, it is life with God every day of our lives. Secondly, 
our sin, our shame, our guilt is taking away. And this brings me to verse 13. The other word for lame used in verse 13 is not the same as noher. This time around is the Hebrew word pisiah. And interestingly, even though both Hebrew words mean lame, the second Hebrew word, Pesiah, only seeks to define lame as in physical lameness. And so therefore, what the Bible seeks to teach us is that at the end of the story, Mephibosheth is only lame physically. At the beginning... He was lame physically, but also he had all of the baggage. But at the end of the story, when he's seated at the king's table, we are only told of a physical lameness. So something had happened. Somewhere in the midst of being sought by the king, the revelation of the covenant promises, and Mephibosheth receiving the blessings provided for him, he loses, he somehow loses his dejected state. He is now seated at the table of the king. When we receive God's wonderful gift of salvation, our sin, our shame, and guilt are taken away. Hallelujah. In exchange, we receive the righteousness of God. That's what happens. And I love this verse that says that he who was without sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of how many people can do this? It is scandalous, isn't it? He who was he, he could have stayed in his own corner somewhere. He was without sin. But he becomes sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. Only Jesus can do that. And he did that. As I, I finish off this morning, just to say to us, two responses I'm hoping we can have this morning. First group of people are those who are often aware of their lameness and um, are sometimes overawed by the fact that the king will notice them in their distress. But you see, whether we understand it or not, God is king. Maybe the band can come up at this time. Whether we understand it or not, God is king. And he seeks us out. And you see, David provided a place for Mephibosheth at his table where they could be together and fellowship continually. All Mephibosheth needed to do was to receive what the king had provided. And for that, that first group of people, you know, you know all you need to do is to receive the grace of God. To come to Jesus and say, I receive your grace. I stand in a horrible place. I cannot do anything in my own strength. You've been living in fear. You've been living far from God. But note this. He comes looking for you. He comes seeking you. And he's come and he's knocked on the door. And he says, would you come with me? All you need to do is say, yes, I will come with you. I will walk with you. It's the first group of people. Those who would just respond to the grace of God and the mercy of God and say, yes, I receive this free gift. Second group of people are those who, like Mephibosheth, feel like they have been forgotten. They feel like nobody cares about them. 
They feel that currently God's plans for them don't seem to be going the way they should. They feel dejected. They feel like giving up. And you just, you just need somebody to talk to. You just need somebody to come alongside and say, put their arms around you and say, look, God is good all the time. God's got great plans for you and he will continue to work out those plans in your life. You just need somebody to just open up and share some issues with. I want to encourage you. I mean, the guys are going to be here. Please find one of the leaders and talk to them. But for that, that, that first crop of people, you know, you know yourself. You're, you're, you're in, a, in a pretty difficult place. Well, I just want to say to you, Jesus loves you. And he's here for you. And just finally, I felt particularly drawn to, because it was somebody who was physically lame, I felt God particularly just draw me to that. And I just would want to pray on the back of that as I finish your father. I just thank you for your, your great love. And I just want to thank you, Father God, for all in Mephibosheth's uh, situation. I just pray, God, that you just would bring a reminder of your love, just your great assurance of the fact that you are with them. And I pray, God, that you come and save this morning. Yes, Father Lord, you'd come in and heal this morning. You'd come and transform lives this morning, even as we worship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.